0: Miss Macintosh, My Darling, Chapter 58 On the library steps where, with his black cape draped across his shoulders, his white steinkirk drifting to his feet, which were clad in his pearl-button spats. The weather had been muggy, sultry, and warm. Mr. Spitzer had stood leaning on his ivory-headed cane, watching the black clouds, thinking of the silent music he was always composing in his mind. His elegy, which would be finished only when he was dead. He met an old violinist with shaking fingers and long white hair. His head turned permanently to one side, as if he still carried a box under his chin, which was abraded, worn almost to the bone. There was an old iridescent wound caused by erosion, as if by some, as if by much knocking against his box, and he surely must have sawed off the strings of his beard. <coughs> if ever he had had a beard, and there were no buttons on his shirt. as Mr. Spitzer had courteously watched with his moon-washed eyes, knowing that this old musician seemed to have stepped out of the air, which had slightly rippled a moment before, he had drawn his imaginary bow across his imaginary strings, and played his imaginary notes upon the imaginary box, cradle, or coffin of sound, which such wild gestures of emotional rapture, such expert motions of his bony fingers, that Mr. Spitzer, Spitzer with his great musicianship, knew immediately what music he was playing, soundless though it was. Indeed, he prided himself that few musicians would have recognized a piece so obscure, not one of the most famous compositions, and nothing of moment, but something which had nearly passed away from human consciousness. Only he remembered it, sighed as he watched. The violinist's long, lean face had been lighted up as he had nestled with his ima- this imaginary music—under his wounded chin, with such pluckings, tremblings, quaverings, quivering sighs, sobbings, immortal, tr- immortal trills that Mr. Spitzer, though he could not hear, was amazed by his technical proficiency, spending itself upon the silent air. For in the city, not a traffic horn honked, and he could not help pitying this poor fellow whom he admired. For probably Mr. Spitzer was so constituted that his admiration would always be his pity, and his pity his admiration. This was not the angel singing in the whirlwind, this was the singing moth, this was not the singing candle flame. This was an old song which Mr. Spitzer, trembling when he thought of Joachim, remembered from his buried childhood, something scarcely ever heard in modern times, and something which would be less beautiful if heard by living ears, for it would lose in the hearing as never again when a child is born should he hear over him the beating of his mother's heart soft as muted brussel a wave winding around him and something was ever lost in life as in death a minor composition by one of the lesser known 19th century composers nothing very ambitious or grand probably a waltz such as might be found today only when embalmed in old music boxes porcelain or ivory or rosewood pewter or silver or tarnished gold that which evoked the trivial past and made the present seem a dream but played with such exquisite skill, such delicate shadings of thought and unconscious memory, that Mr. Spitzer, merely by watching the intricate gestures of this musician's body, which seemed to ripple like music like a cloud, could almost hear it tinkling in the distance as if the dream were real, as the present lated, For seldom had he, this large man with his, his many layers of flesh, felt such detachment from this flesh, such freedom from this life and these corporal woes, as when the silent music had fallen in the air around him his soul having almost slipped out of his body like a ship leaving its cloud moorings, and he had stood with his colorless mouth open and his eyes rounded and his head turned to one side with an attitude of attentive listening. Surely as he had not heard this ineffable music of breathing expiring on the air around him, softer than the moth songs, the singing star loudly humming, splashing like a white bird in a whirlpool, it was the most beautiful music he had never heard, making his heart shake in the great silence as the tears came, stinging to his eyes and his body rippled in response. He could feel the hourglass of his heart being reversed, or perhaps it was only the minute glass, or perhaps it was that hour which came alter after life was over. A cloud had moved, trailing sudden lights. There was music of the bell, the old bellwether jumping over the cliff, music of tinkling prisms fading on the air. He could feel the tremblings of the left hand, the pulsings of his wrist, set that sudden flutter in his throat. Never had he been, at least for many years, so shaken, so moved, yet serene. He had nodded his head, watching this old violin's trembling fingers moving from key to key as the strings vibrated in response, whispered, sobbed, moaned, warbled, whistled, trilled, with singing of blind moths, bird calls in a great city, rattle of pale tree boughs and papery leaves, whispering presentiment of rain in a distant street, weaving of the threads of sound upon the loom of time, the swinging movements of his right arm when producing a soulful passage such as should have awakened the deaf and caused the dust to stir and caused old orchards to swell the ground to rise like surf, the transient modulations, or rippling changes of keys, foghorn honkings of seagulls, great as yachts and clouds, spreading their white wings like sails, strummings of plaintive beach grasses, sparse as the hair on an old man's head, singings of pebbles which never sang before in dark or sunlit streams, and seashells buzzing like bees, clashings of withered reeds in the wind, sounds of the sand moving, the scrapings of sea combs upon crystal sand, and many frictions. Sound of the starlight exploding into iridescent surf, and many fireflies, many sparks sparking on the strings. The movements of the nervous fingers of left hand upon the responsive keys as the strings trembled like vocal cords, his rolling eyeballs as white as snow, for there were only the whites, the tossings of his wild white mane in the wind caused by his own musical mun- movements, his own velocities of feelings, the tremors like quicksilver moving from his head to his feet, clatter of glassy hooves, drumming of waves, and wraith like whispers of archaic foam silken whispers fading into silence he seemed in almost his own long necked musical instrument his whole body shaking with ripples of music unheard the music which came before consciousness before the air was added to the man before the ear was the entrance to the soul or became the exit pre-musical music mr spirit almost believed watching with increasing admiration scarcely tinged by his pity which darkened and warped everything and corroded even his pleasure Or music which came after the year was no more, he was not certain, as either area was immense, greater than life, this infant crying in the dark, the storm of bitter years, this feeble cry lost among the stars, though yet the gradations of that physical ecstasy, Mr. Spitzer could not help thinking, were so strictly material, even in their cherubic immateriality, that with slightly different gestures, with a different stamp, that is, of the old violinist plucking such sweet melodies, it lifted his right arm in a swifter curve stood forward upon the ball of his right foot like a relay runner, if he had arranged his flexible fingers in a different pattern. He might have been, instead of this musical derelict an outcast instead of one of so many lost and indistinct musicians in a great city, a ball player in the great park, striking the ball, or even missing the ball, if it was foul, or if it touched the ground before passing over the home base, or if it was diverted by a heavy wind, or suddenly seemed animated with a purpose of its own, spread its wings and sailed on with the blazed ball of the sun, the moon, the star. Mr. Spitzer knew this form from having talked with so many old baseball players in night cafes, priding himself that music and baseball were fused in his psychology, knew the difference between the slow pitch and fast, perhaps the ball with a slow motion might soar entirely over its diamond, be lost among the soaring stars at one long pitch, pitching on and on, or Mr. Spitzer with an automatic motion might have tossed the ball if he had, instead of himself, thrown, if he had been the pitcher and not the catcher. The old violinist might have made a homework running among the shaking stars, But surely the violinist would not have worn a mint, for such music would be as inconceivable as if the violinist had not worn a hand. Yet Mr. Spitzer had encountered in his orbits oddball musicians in recent years. It was a fact Known a one-handed pianist, who, when he died, had left his wooden hand upon the piano keys, and the wooden hand had played on and on, when the musician was no more. Indeed, there was no reason why this old violinist should not have been batter, pitcher, catcher upon the great diamond, perhaps the great virtuoso, the greatest baseball star who ever lived or died, playing the entire field, as Mr. Spitzer had silently thought, although his sigh had made no audible sound. For if nothing was, and all things might be true, and if nothing was visible, one might imagine all visible things. Among these invisible things, where Mr. Spitzer was, seen only the white clouds and the strong black tree boughs, sometimes not even these. Just as though sometimes answering, he did not always hear. Ah, oh, what miracles could be achieved with a simple wand? What forms of being might evolve? If the fellow's bow had been a baseball bat, he could have been the batsman. Or if his baseball bat had been a cue-stick, he could have been a billiard player, pushing the great ivory ball, knocking against the other balls with their own peculiarly clicking music. Or if his cue-stick had been a cane, he might have been a fine gentleman taking the air. Or a shepherd, his cane had been a staff. Or if his staff had been a mallet, he might have been a croquet player, knocking his ball through the last wicket. Or might have been a moth with his cane, or he might have even been a pole player, furiously riding with his mallet, knocking the moon. Or if his mallet had been a gavel, he might have been a judge in a court, perhaps sleeping, since no judgments made now. Or if his gavel had been a long pole, he might have been a fisherman, fishing for lost souls, or for carp, or for silversides, or even for Mr. Spitzer's heart. Or if his pole had been a mace, he might have been the master of the mace, the jeweled mace. If his mace had been a scepter, he might have been the old king of Krakow under the railway bridge, still wearing his royal crown, paper, or tinsel shining like a star. Or if a scepter had been a baton, he might have been the conductor of a great orchestra. For reality was but this fugitive thing, Mr. Spitzer had thought, it depended upon the moment. Reality was made up of just so many sticks and not one stick more. Pole or wand or staff or rod, the hooked stick, what cross players cross, or with flowering crosshair, perhaps flowering with hawthorn, the flowering branch mirrored upon the dark stream. Alas, Mr. Spitzer could remember no one unless he remembered his brother, with whom he was still obsessed and always would be, increasingly no doubt to the extent he sometimes sensibly acknowledged of an almost absolute madness. From his dead brother he had gained his understanding of life and was reminded of his brother by so many things that he would nearly forget himself, the silent musician with the air trembling around him. He was reminded of his brother as of a dead love which changes, grows, continues, takes on so many meanings after death, that it may be said it is, to all purposes, intent still alive. It grows and it even grows old of course mr spitzer being noted for his stupor as if he had been some old loggerhead turtle awakening himself from his somnolence only long enough to snap at a hawk mop was always somewhat surprised by his swift intuitive understanding of this relation of music to sports as that day on the library steps when he had heard the old violinist harping harping like the whirling tree boughs for he went with his cloak memories was not and never would be a jaunty sportsman he believed and had acquired his present rather remote knowledge of sports and of the sporting world only since Perone's unusual death, just as Perone's ear had been too coarse to hear the finer music which he had not understood, which he would have ignored if it had been the greatest, most soul-shattering symphony ever written. Preferring the unwritten music of the turf, the jarring rattle of bone-rattlers, the rattle of dice in the ivory box, which had been the box or shell or nest of the brain, the music of old con who had conned themselves out of the music of the world, and not been interested in the misfortunes of great musicians, whether young or old. Unless they were, of course, such gruesome music hall comedians and blind street singers and fallen divas as male or female would have propelled sensitive Mr. Spitzer, who was attuned even to the silent mistakes and who had always hidden from the lower half of life the darker half. Though he was among the shadows and carried his darkness with him as if it had been a cloak, while Perona extended somewhat irregular and undependable charities to athletes who had been discredited in one way or another, perhaps through his own connivings, particularly to old sportsmen such as he might have become if he had lived. To those who would never again throw the dice cubes, or hear the singing of the great wheel turning through light and shadow until resurrection, never again hear the great gong gonging over them unless it was the last gong, forever chiming. Perhaps small as a tinkle of wind chimes far away. Ex-champions who have been broken by life and shattered like glass upon a lonely shore. Old fighters with glass knuckles, glass fists, glass chins. Old runners who had taken their last mercurial sprint, speedy as life. Old ice skaters for whom the ice had melted. skiers skiing through the clouds. Old jumpers who had jumped the last time and would jump no more. Not even at the buzzing of a fly. And in whom Mr. Spitzer had interested himself only after Prone's lyric leap in the midst of the great epic of life. There was no rope of sparrows to cling to, like a bell rope swinging through a cloud falling, sobbing as he fell, killing the song-sparrow in his fall, sparrow whose fluttering wings were shadowed on the darkening clouds, for there had been no way to change his course when he had seen the great abyss, that which he had seen too late, and of what avail now were loud to do to dooms, sobbings, whispers of ghostly wings. He had willed this, but had he lived through this? That leap had seemed so sudden, though yet perhaps there was no such thing as a sudden leap in the midst of life, and doubtless there must have been many moments of preparation when perone though consciously wishing to run ahead beyond the edge to end it all had unconsciously leaned backward wishing to live not suddenly had he come to the great abyss the yawning chasm mr spitzer thought and that there must have been many periods of hovering periods of transition so fleeting that they had scarcely been recognized perone's memory which was always elegant he remembered these old sportsmen some who were mere skeletons cloaked and cloaking them as he would have cloaked his brother and in his own memory, he remembered those long-haired musicians, some who had no bodies, no instruments, no cloaks, not in the drifting clouds. He was molested by musicians as if he were an oyster bed invaded by a starfish derby, starfish sawing on his strings, starfish eating his oysters, eating his pearls. And now the sky was divided by the surf line of the gray and the black clouds, and the upper sky was light, but the under sky was watery darkness, streaked by silver waves filled with the flashings of thin stars. This old musician might have been, for one dreadful moment in the blurring of light, Mr. Spitzer had thought, an old sportsman merely pretending to be an old musician. How could Mr. Spitzer know? For had he not passed beyond all those differences which had separated individuals, or not all directions lost? This old musician, this fiddler upon the silent, invisible strings, might have been, if his violin had been a bit of tennis racket, if the strings had crossed, a great tennis player taught perhaps the greatest of them all. A tennis player tossing the moon's skull into the clouds above the black spruce tops. The moon's skull drifting in the heavens where was no wicket, no dividing net between the heavens and the heavens. No tree branches to trap the moth moon in its flight. Mr. Spitzer once more silently thought, almost ready to break into applause. The fellow might have been so many things causing this envy. He might have been the battling seagull with his head in the clouds, subjected to two laws of gravity, the upward pull of the moon, the downward pull of the earth. Both moon and earth moving like the neap tide, the ebb tide moving the orchard hillocks and the beech grasses, leaning toward the tide. The blowing surf, or was his only, or was his only the distraught music of the old town clock, the face in the cloud, its numerals suddenly jumping, the jangled chimes chiming fourteen bells in their echoes. He shook as with the palsy, shook in all his withered members, and he was old, cold, broken, rolling the whites of his moon blighted eyes tossing his white mane above his forehead, one shoulder being permanently raised above the other because of his long musical career. And yet what musical control was his, making these tremulos, these rapidly fluttering reiterations of chords without apparent breaks? Ah, uh, This was not palsy or ague or any <coughs> shaking disease shaking all his members, causing these par- paroxysms like muted thunder. This was music, the finest music, Mr. Spitzer had thought, shaken like an aspen tree of silver leaves and shadows and winds, or a tree with its bare branches filled with singing birds, flutterings of silver wings, sobbings. For many days afterwards, Mr. Spitzer remembered the old musician playing on and on as if, as he had never begun, he could not stop. Mr. Spitzer had heard ringings in his ears for several days, almost to the extent that he had almost forgotten his own troubles, which were not inconsiderable. The fellow was probably a soloist, Mr. Spitzer surmised, or maybe one of those people who had come out only after the curtain goes down, one who played only for the encore, only the echo of the echo fading into silence, after life is over. For all Mr. Spitzer knew, or before it began, before the first trembling string was struck, so great with his musical ecstasy which could not find expression by the ordinary channels, and besides, were not Mr. Spitzer's ears beyond the reach of sound. He almost thought so, though, hearing what he could not hear, and this was why, Though wishing to be indifferent, he was filled with such great envy of everything. He envied the frog because it could croak, the snail because it could shed its skin, the rose because it could bloom, the rose because it could fade, the dying dolphin because it could change its moods and its colors, the night because it was not the day, the day because it was not the night, the night because it could pass. Though wishing to interrupt with an aftermark a brilliant phrase to show his musical appreciation, or even have a sentence which should sufficient, have sufficient ambiguity, he had hesitated several times of course nearly forgetting himself here he had nearly broken into an applause which should be heard from pole to pole wishing to congratulate this itinerant musician on the lonely music causing these vast ripples and doubtless would have done so if he had not been afraid to interrupt the silence with a sound a hollow sound like a last trumpet blowing so he waited for a pause for never had he heard such solitary music unless it was his own which might have taken so many forms of expression might have knocked upon so many ivory doors that All that life Mr. Spitzer had hovered, only preparing himself for the ultimate music. But as to this violinist loneliness Mr. Spitzer had been wrong, he later discovered, or so it seemed to him, searching through his mind. For as always, when he checked with his first impressions, he must correct them by other impressions laid over the first, even if sometimes, after numerous corrections, returning to his first thoughts when he could remember them, for how often, alas, his first thoughts were lost or altered, almost beyond recognition, altered by the passage of time. When this rhapsodic fellow had finished playing on one tune, he played another. Mr. Spitzer, with his musical intuitions, running like a river under the ground, knew when the music changed. Though no one told him, and he had no concert program and no need of it. There had been no pause, but only a slight shiver of glassy flute music in the air. And when should this submerged river of silence flow through a cave above the ground, mirroring ethereal tree branches delicate as gossamer spiders' webs in the wind, flow toward a silent sea, a silent sea of dreams or a loud sea? Also this was not the encore, Mr. Spitzer quickly realizing that he had been wrong, for there had been no previous performance, at least not for many years, so there could be no repetition of the lost adventure. In this music, though it was a music made of many approximate refrains, was not the masterpiece of dying sounds haunted with premonitions of future life such as Mr. Spitzer almost always heard and imagined, something such as might have composed for a black keyboard only, summing up of all or almost all that had gone before and all that continued. Even all the enigmatic musical notes written on Mr. Spitzer's boiled white shirt front. These fragments of reproachful phrases he would always write down in his spidery musical hieroglyphs whenever a new idea occurred to him. Or an old song returned, almost returned, being somewhat altered by its absence from the world. So sometimes he thought he himself was only a walking musical concert program to remind all people that what they were, they were not. He often thought he was but the walking scoreboard, a place for the chalking up of the numbers, a place for the notchings of tallies and scratching of taws, the keeping of accounts, as if he were streaked with chalk marks like some old cliff corroded by the tide, or covered with the accretions of white whitened bird dung, where the feathery clouds rested upon the pinnacle, the lost pinnacle, as if he were the recording angel with snow-white pinions, keeping the accounts the reckonings, writing with, with a quill made from his own vast pinions, stretching through the clouds, Indeed, he had once found an ex chalked upon the tail of his coat like something in a freight station, probably marked that he had passed inspection at the board lines ready to pass on. Sometimes it seemed to him as if he was growing old. As he was growing old, that his only music was the abacus, for that was really the music he always heard, even in his sleep. The counters sliding long rods or in grooves. The abacus was his lute, for he was keeping the score, always keeping the score, counting, counting, counting to the numbers beyond the numbers. Or sometimes, of course, wearied of not counting, he would subtract. This music was not even something for the white keyboard, the rattling ivory. So Mr. Spitzer believed this music was no known instrument or for no known instrument or voice. For this music it existed apart from transitory sound. It was not even the itinerant, the need of the wind harp and the wind, the buzzing choruses of two rival choirs of honeybees, the crowings of two rival cocks, the first rosy light of starlit dawn. Were the pearl-mantled loon singers on the back of the old glider whale who lent himself to be a stage for these musicians, crying in the midst of the waves of the wild sea. This music, in the mi- this music was something existing only in Mr. Spitzer's imagination, and at a time when he had nearly passed beyond the horizon of human belief, this music was not even the creakings of weather turning north and south. This sonorous music was no doubt, Mr. Spitzer turned his head and smiled, the overture. The grand overture though not differing from the elegy or varying only in such subtle ways that few would know the nuances of difference between the premonitory passages and the shuttle weavings of mistaken memory that only the greatest musical expert might know the difference between the first notes and the last the beginning and the end and then only by the arc described by the sole musician's arm the position of his naked elbow which showed through a hole in the sleeve of his ragged coat first one's elegant frock coat was torn like that of a scarecrow Fluttering, the slowing of his pulse, that peculiar twitching of the muscles of his p- perpetually contorted face, sudden rattling of his teeth, and rolling of his eyeballs before the moment of calm, infinite calm, a sudden lolling and jerking of his head upon his narrow shoulders as if it were he who was drawn by strings like a mad puppet dancing the cosmic storm, that twisting of his wire drawn body in that vast musical effort beyond the powers of a particular expression, though he had remained standing in almost the same spot, merely whirling like a top. Whirling like a singing-top dying down, his ribs, "'seeming almost ready to burst out of his skin, his fingers, "'seeming suddenly to turn to naked branches or claws, "'as if he were a creature spewed up from the infernal depths, "'and not a celestial musician at all, not a cloudburst.' "'Mr. Spitzer had sadly thought, though there were clouds, "'and yet this was only part of the music, "'for there were other players playing, though not heard, "'bone-rattlers, bone-riders, riding bone-horses, "'and there were the same sobbing at the beginning "'as if it had been the end.' Mr. Spitzer's heart tumultuously beating in this loud dirge as he responded with this almost inaudible audible sigh as the quivers of light in and the dark. Indeed he began to fear that perhaps the old musician was really quite sick, perhaps dying. Perhaps he was having a fit in this popplex. He was not music, and Mr. Spitzer was wrong. Perhaps there was some great need which the violinist could not express. Perhaps he was in need of mortal help. How should Mr. Spitzer give sustenance to him? Perhaps he was dying, wildly dying, and thus flailed with his arms, beat his arms like wings, like wind we wings against the air, which rippled darkened. how could Mr. Spitzer know he being who he was and was not? How could he judge or know the difference between the living and the dead? Perhaps this old musician was already dead, and Mr. Spitzer had imagined this, and it was all a dream, this mimicry of life, or ceased to be a dream only when one was dead. Though Mr. Spitzer was not sure, seeing at least two sides to every question, sometimes four sides. Perhaps these thoughts so many times a dead man lived and dreamed. Perhaps Mr. Spitzer would have thought that the musician was dead if he had not whirled on and on, drawing his imaginary bow across the imaginary strings with showers of imaginary sound, like golden rain falling on dark waters, imaginary whirlpools though there was no precipitation, there were only these faintly luminous dark storm clouds gathering against the farther sky. Where were the gleaming towers of the city, the foaming mountains, the darkly pop- blowing poplar trees bending in the sickle wind, the boat moon drifting upon the glassy waves? And Mister Spitzer, though curious, with great gongs ringing in his ears and his black cape whirling around him, I was afraid to ask a question. For as he had found through bitter experience, the problem of existence was not illuminated; it was darkened by elucidation. Besides, as he had also found, if he waited long enough, most people would ask the questions he did not ask. When the old musician finally finished playing the silent sonata, Mr Spitzer, to show his musical appreciation, would have liked to have offered, in, offered some remuneration, a shower of gold coins, leaden coins, whatever he had found in his purse, but he would have been afraid to wound his exposed to wound his exposed musical pride. had learned from bitter experience, musicians were easily wounded were almost easily agitated, responding to every insult, even when no insult had been intended, when one intended only to pay a compliment. And one often felt that they, were the, that they were those who wore their hearts upon their sleeves, their paper hearts, no doubt, for they were always very superficial, These instrumentalists, and were never themselves, but only following the scores they had not composed. And he had learned that he could take nothing for granted in this mu- realm of music, not even that a starving musician was starving, or that a sleeping musician was sleeping, or that a dead musician was dead. How often they surprised him, blowing their golden silver horns, clashing their mad cymbals in the air, playing that glassy flute music which brought the rocks hurtling from the sky. And he could have no music but the silent music in his cavernous memory in the silent sea, where fishes sleep and flowers, or where flowers are such fishes as a star lily swimming through the water through dark waters. There were flowers in early life and fishes in later life, where they underwent this vast sea chain change even as mr. spitzer had undergone a great undergone a great change dying that he might live sometimes he thought that the amorphous amorphous form was both the beginning and the end of life was he not something of a musician too besides being the silent composer for had he not once prodded with his cane awakened a seashell which had struck in revenge he would always sonorously ask discovered to his horror that a dead seashell was not dead but only sleeping and not the livid seashell struck and killed him, this musician who heard now the sound of many sobbings, like a loud sea of chaos, or like a city of gold and silver and purple turrets and purple bridges, trembling in the dreaming air, a city where the old coach horses rumbled on and on, though treading on nothing but the clouds. And if a thing had happened to him in a dream, even as when this great turret seashell had long ago suddenly moved and bitten off his arm, so that he had bled to death upon the purple shore, and his blood was a marsh pool over which a butterfly drifted, it had happened to him, there was no doubt in Mr. Spitzer's mind, for it happened every night, or else nothing had happened to him in many years, the dream being real. For more and more, as time went on through days without calendars, he distinguished less and less between reality and his dead dreams. And this indistinction, though sometimes very embarrassing to him, as it, to its immediate or remote consequences, sometimes incalculable, was perhaps also his only wisdom, like a protective cloud, that dark cloud through which he moved with his black cape whirling around him, making the shadow a cord drifting like a bell rope